Hey, I gotta tell you guys about something, and I'm really excited to talk about this because I got a brand new front door lock. And it's not just any lock, it's a Eufy video lock. You might be thinking, what's the big deal, Chael? Well, okay, I'm gonna tell you. First off, it is sleek. I mean, it's a very big deal. My father used to build houses. My whole life, I've known how important curb appeal is. I used to be in real estate. When I show somebody a house, the front door is the very first thing you see. This thing is a piece of art. It truly is, and it's such a good looking piece of hardware. It instantly upgraded my front door. I was excited about the functionality. So not only do I get an instant makeover with a piece of art, you now have a different level of protection. It's a smart lock. It's got a 2K camera with audio and doorbell all in one. Most competitors are either just a camera or a smart lock. The Eufy Video Lock has both plus a doorbell and it can all be controlled via an app, which makes things so convenient. I hate when I hear the doorbell ring and I'm comfortable inside. I gotta get up, go to the door, just to find out it's a delivery man who dropped the package and is already long gone. The Eufy Video Lock now allows me to avoid all of that. I can just peek at the app. I can even talk to him or hear him talk back to me. Also, my wife and I travel a lot. It's an added level of security at my front door and it makes me feel a little bit more at ease. It was very easy to install. No, there are no monthly fees for the security video storage. The battery is rechargeable and each charge lasts about four months. The Eufy Lock is fantastic and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. Do that by going to Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you gain complete control of your door. What's happening guys? Happy Friday and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome coming up on today's show. I made John Jones upset. I'll tell you why at the end of the podcast. I'll also tell you about two other big name guys that aren't fighting right now, but before we get there, I wanna break down a fight that I just found out got booked and I can't wait for it. Oh, yes! All right, Yuri Rodriguez versus Max Holloway. I love that fight. I've wanted to see that fight for years. And I, I was close to getting it, and your ear ends up in, in, in some kind of red tape. Had to go sit in the principal's office. He's back. I didn't know. I didn't know he was back. I mean, this fight's like six weeks away. This thing just got announced. And by the way, the dirt sheets that I go to, the elbows and the manias, this was buried like story number three. Story number three. I'm the only one that loves this fight. I'm the only one that's waited years for this fight. How is this the third story? I couldn't believe it. So I bring it to your guys' attention. Uriah Rodriguez, he's a video game character. Joe Rogan can hardly call his fights because we don't even know the names of the moves and the names of the techniques that he's doing. Uriah Rodriguez, he is crazy. His fighting style is absolutely wild and crazy. He's a video game and he's going to take on Max. Not to mention that large, that looks like a stand-up fight to me. So you have one of the most precise and accurate volume strikers in the sport, period. Not just in the weight class, in the sport, period, in max against the craziest, most dynamic, innovative, 
And we're probably going to get that for 25 wild minutes or until one of them goes down. I mean, this is a crazy match. Not to mention, welcome back, Yair. What an incredible respect that Yair is being shown. He's going to walk right in there with Max. You get the jump on Max, you're fighting for the belt, period. There's no scenario around that. I think that we can all agree. And this is one of the fights Giga was after. Giga, Giga was going after these, these two guys as well. So he beats Giga out, so what do you do with Giga? Giga has now turned his attention uh, towards Cater, which would be another fight that I would celebrate and go, yes, this is awesome, this is a perfect match. I do think that when you're dealing with Max, okay, because a lot of people have pushed back. A lot of people have pushed back, and I even read this in Errol Hawani's Twitter feed, but some people are pushing back that your ear is getting the shot at Max. If you don't give Max an opponent, a worthy opponent, Max is hurting people. Max is hurting people badly. you got to give him the right guy. Your ear can take care of himself. That fits the bill. But if you don't give this to Max, then what do you do? Because there was discussion at one point, after Max looked so good on the ABC show, had all these eyeballs on him, there was discussion of just holding him off the shelf and letting him go against Volkanovski Part 3 or Ortega if Ortega gets uh, the jump on Alex. It's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I know that you're trying to compliment Max. I know that that's what that is intended to do, but it doesn't. It makes him wait. It makes him unemployed. Right, The byproduct of naming someone a number one contender when you've still got the title shot to be done is the same thing that happened with Francis. I don't believe it's ever happened to anybody else besides Francis, but it was getting ready to happen to Max. You're making him unemployed. You're, you're taking a guy who, because of his own success, now doesn't get to go to work. It's, it, it's very opposite of what we're intending to do. It's an accidental byproduct, but I'm glad it didn't happen here. I'm really glad it didn't happen here. And, and Uriah Rodriguez, who has been greatly missed, at least by me, a little bit hard to count on at times. I mean, at times, he'll say he's going to do something, and then something weird happens. Things start to get a little bit fishy. I am very believing that this one's going to happen just because your has been on the break. I would imagine, if I put myself in his shoes, right, following the golden rule, yeah, I'd be chomping at the bit. I'd be a little bit easier to work with, right? I mean, we just saw this happen with Leon, by example, Leon Edwards. But Leon Edwards was, was another one. It was a little bit hard to get him to the table. Well, he sat out for so long that he's going, man, get me anybody. Just get me in there. It's a real thing. We, we can all understand that. At some point, you got to go to work, right? Okay. So I think Uriah's going to do it. I mean, I kind of think that he is. And sometimes with Rodriguez, he's hard to pin down. He is. Sometimes I read some things, and the very next day I'll read something, and they don't go hand in hand, and then he'll put out a comment somewhere, which doesn't tie in with either of their two. I go, man, I don't know what's going on here, but I do believe Uriah Rodriguez and Max Holloway are going to fight. I believe it's going to happen in the middle of July, and I'm excited for it. So Max Holloway and Uriah Rodriguez are two of the best strikers in the sport. And you know who else is really good? Justin Gaethje. But there's something happening with him that I just don't understand. What is going on with Justin Gaethje? And I, I only bring that to you because I haven't heard this name in a meaningful period of time. Gaethje's not doing anything annoying, which in fairness, he deserves a thank you for this. But most guys are at least a little bit annoying and they're out there tweeting or out there trying to get a headline or they're doing interviews on fights they're not willing to take but they have to keep their name out there. I mean, it's a real slippery slope. I've seen a couple of guys retire from this sport and nobody knew they retired. 
There's an old Rodney Dangerfield line where he's making a joke at a stand-up show, but he says, I retired two years ago, nobody knew. So I'm back, but nobody knows I'm back. But there's, there's a real reality to that. Like if you go out the wrong way and nobody's talking about you, it's extremely problematic, right? It's extremely problematic. But in this sport, there's so many guys that you can talk about. It's hard to get those headlines. It's kind of Gaethje's job to go out there and get them, and he's not. And I'm just wondering why and where is he? Most recent time I've heard Jason Gaethje's name, Eddie Alvarez, was talking about a potential of Gaethje versus Chandler. Eddie was leaning towards Gaethje and saying it would be wise for Chandler, and I quote, to stay away from Gaethje. Okay, now I want to see the fight even more, right? <laughs> Eddie Alvarez has the right to an opinion at 155 pounds. Eddie Alvarez has been in the ring with both of those guys. And I think that Eddie trains with Chandler. I think. Wasn't Chandler cornered by Hoof? Which would mean Chandler and Alvarez are now training partners. Do I have that right or am I missing something there? Either way, it does seem to me that's the fight to make. I can't think of a fight that I would want to see more, period, in all of MMA. That's not even a title fight. And I'm sure I could I'm sure I could think of one or two that I'd want to see more, but I'm gonna stand by that statement. That's right up there. Alvarez versus Gaethje, huge fight. That is a mega fight. And there would be so much on the line. Both of those guys only want one thing, which is to be champion, get back to the championship. Khabib is gone. Things opened up a little bit around here. I'm gonna take full advantage. I get it. I like it. One of them would be stopped. One of them's journey to the top does not continue after that fight. But that's a big fight. That's a big storyline. That is big meaning. Something's on the line there. Where is Gaethje? I don't have the answer to that. The last time I heard Dana talk about Gaethje, he said something. It blew my mind. I had to go rewind it. I thought he misspoke. He said, we might just hold Gaethje out to fight for the title. And I remember, I literally hit re Dana, say that again. What you, we're going to hold Gaethje? We're just going to hold him out? He becomes number one contender off of what? Off of getting stopped in his last fight? What? I rewatched it. And then I started thinking about it from Dana's perspective. I go, well, yeah, sure, he did lose. He did get stopped, but it was a world title fight against a guy who's no longer here. What do you want to tell me? He's not the guy? The only guy that beat him is the guy, and that guy isn't here anymore. I guess he's the guy. Okay, by default, I suppose that you're right. But I don't know that I believe that for one second. I always believe cooler heads would prevail. Greatness is something you have to be reminded of often, and Justin's going to have to get back in there one more time. And so now there does seem to be an opportunity. Chandler is ready to go. I told you guys I talked to Chandler. Chandler's ready to go. Had nothing to do with Gaethje. Has to do with anybody. Bring him and bring him quickly. Okay, where is Gaethje? And I want to put Gaethje in a box where he has to go fight Chandler. I'm just sharing for you guys as a fan. That would really excite me. That, that's, a, that's a very special contest. But I'm open to something else, uh, something else with Gaethje. I always wanted to see Gaethje versus Paul Felder just from an entertainment, from a fun standpoint, but Felder retired over the weekend, so I'm, I'm not going to get that. I'm very light on the idea that they're holding Gaethje and Gaethje's going to get plugged in to the title fight against Oliveira. I'm bigger and bullish on the idea that the winner of Poirier and Connor obviously, at least, is offered the opportunity. If one of them gets a little bit squirrely, particularly meaning if Connor chooses to not go do that, I, I guess you look at the pieces on the board, but I think you're still left with, well, why does Gaethje get the chance if his last fight was a loss? If we're going to go about it that way, I just don't know historically that we've seen that happen to somebody. Right? Not very often. 
it's more common that they would jump in there. And of course, we would show Justin Gaethje the respect of hearing what it is he wants to do. That's why I bring you this piece. What is it? What does he want to do? Is he on a hiatus? I literally know two guys, and I'm not going to say their name because I don't want to embarrass them. Both at one point in their career were UFC champions that left the sport and years went by and nobody knew they were gone. They subsequently came out and have retired since. And this whole story, I'm going back about seven or eight years. But two guys that were once main events and world champions left. The media never asked about them. No fellow competitor ever called them out. The UFC wasn't ringing them up saying, what are you doing? Do you want to be busy again? They just left. Years went by. These were champions. I don't submit for you that's what's going on with Justin Gaethje, but I will submit it's as good a guess as any because that's all we can do right now is guess because we have no clarity because Justin hasn't spoken up. If you're not going to put Gaethje with Chandler, who are you going to put Gaethje with? If you're not going to put Gaethje with Chandler, who are you going to put Chandler with? There's no way after Chandler's performance against Oliveira where one full round was completed, of which was won by Chandler, that we're going to let him slide. We're not going to treat him that way. At the same time, he's going to have to do something before we even have a discussion of championship fight and who is that going to be with. And Chandler might just roll the dice completely and say, bring on Islam, bring on Darush. I don't know how open he is. When I spoke to Michael Chandler, he did not care. He did not care. And it wasn't from a big tough bravado standpoint. It was straight up competition. This is what I have to do to move through the bracket. Then that is what I will do. And if I'm not good enough to do it, then I won't do that. We can live with that answer too. And I'd rather have it sooner than later. I mean, he was, he was very direct and to the point. It was very refreshing to hear him speak this way, but I'm not, I'm not here to make a piece about Chandler. I'm asking you, what is Gaethje doing? I don't believe that Gaethje has an injury that we don't know about. I saw some training video with he and Usman as Usman was getting ready for his last couple of matches. So I don't think we're dealing with any kind of an injury. I don't think I'm speaking outside of school about a guy that doesn't want to be spoke about. I'm a fan. I want I want to have some anticipation. I want to have some something to look forward to. But before I can do either of those things, I have to have some direction. So Justin, speak up. Where are you? And what do you want? Let's move on from Gaethje who isn't calling for any fights to another guy, Luke Rockhold, who does want to fight but can't seem to get one. Something interesting is going on with Luke Rockhold. I can't put my finger on it. There's something more here than meets the eye. Luke Rockhold is a former champion who is still with the organization and can't get a fight. And as Luke tells the story, it's just that. I can't get anybody to fight me. That would be a hard guy to get a fight for, right? Luke has no ranking, He's as good of a middleweight as has ever done it. So it's a tough night out that you don't get much for in terms of credit, in terms of rankings, in terms of where do I go from here? Can Luke still demand a co-main event or a main event spot? Right, If you're an up-and-coming fighter and you're guaranteed you're going to be at least a co-main because you're attached to the former champion, you take some risks, you take some opportunity. But Luke is a hard night out for anybody. I don't know that he's declared weight classes, though the best that I can defer and decipher by reading his interviews, he is back to 185. So as I'm staring at that, I'm going, you know, who who should he fight? And Luke's never done a great job of calling somebody out. Luke's done a very good job of letting people know, I'm back, I'm healthy, I'm ready, I'm in the pool, I'm looking, I'm training, all these other things, but he hasn't done a good job of saying a name. 
And one name that I've always wanted for Luke was Chris Weidman. And I understand that Chris is rehabbing, so we're not going to have that one right now. Who else do you put with Luke? And we can do it the old school way. We can just pull a name up and then start from scratch. But usually when you have a former world champion, you have a part of the story already told. One reason you're, as a promoter, you're not sweating writing that pretty big check is because you have a former champion who has part of the story already told. But that's the one thing that Luke keeps leaving out is a name. A why are we here type thing. There's people I would love to see Luke fight. And I think I could argue for you main events that you'd want to fight too. Here, let me just give you an example. Hazmet Shemaev's going to fight Luke Rockhold. Are you watching? Yeah, you bet your ass you're watching. And you can also see where that would be very advantageous. Where Hazmet would need to prove himself and be in there with a former champion with a great who, by the way, because of the rankings and just through happenstance, they tend to qualify for each other. Now, Hazmat Shemaev appears that he's going to be down at 170 pounds, even though that is an absolutely set in stone. So somebody needs to go after Rockhold. And you still have a former champion that you're in there with, right? There was a time when we knew how this was going to end. Luke's going to beat you. But now maybe we're not in that time. Now, maybe it is a little bit more of a question. Okay, great. Well, what can you bring me? If we're going to be partners tonight, what can you bring me? And that's where Luke could really benefit by going after a Darren Till, Apollo Acosta, right? One thing that Darren Till and Apollo Acosta have in common is they're not going to be fighting less than co-main event in their next contest. And I think that that's important that Luke start to look at it this way. I see so many guys get lost in the ranking. The ranking is not what you want to be focused on in terms of numbers. Am I the last fight of the night or am I the second to last fight of the night? That's where you want to make sure you are. So even if you've got to go fight a guy, you think that this comes hostile, you must be aware enough to understand me and this person who I don't care for, who I'm even going to fight in front of the world, are partners. So what is this he has to offer me? Luke is going to bring a resume. Luke is going to bring a former world championship with him. What do you offer to Luke? And if you are a marquee guy, if you are a main and a co-main and you need somebody to get in there with, this is where this starts to be an advantage. But I haven't heard Luke call anybody out. Luke's been a a little bit loose. I mean, he's spitting plenty of venom. I read something this morning. He was talking about Adesanya, called Adesanya beatable, said that it was an easy fight. I like it. I like when guys start talking that way. The reason I can't do anything with that is Adesanya's got business with a guy named Marvin Vittori coming up, just by example. So whatever shots we take at Adesanya to get a headline, it doesn't bring us any closer to getting a fight made. And that's the step that we're at right now with Luke. We're trying to get a fight made. Promoting and building and telling the story of a fight is something that we do next. Two and three and four. Step one, got to get a fight made. Who should Luke be fighting with? And I don't know that some of the other guys, and I know that those middleweights, right, and this is off the top of my head without pulling it up, I know a lot of those middleweights just got sucked off the board but I think that Luke needs to look at that board a little bit better. Luke going out and wasting his time talking about Adesanya, that's a really interesting match for me, but there's no point in talking about it because Luke can't get it. He just can't get that match right now. He's going to have to do something in between. He's likely going to have to do two somethings, and he's likely to have to do those two somethings very, very well. I'm just sharing for you, what does Luke want to do that's realistic, that we can do? I'm sure Luke's willing to step in there right now with Whitaker. I'm sure he's willing to fight Till without having the page right in front of me. But I believe I just saw a week ago 
All those 85-pounders got snatched up. They're all doing something. The only one of consequence that's available is Gatslam. And he's only available because he just fought three weeks ago, right? It's one of those uh, spots. I think that Holland versus Luke is an interesting match. The fact that Holland is now at AKA and the fact that Luke left the AKA, I think you have a built-in storyline. We also need somebody with Holland that doesn't have this huge wrestling pedigree. I think that's where Luke could start to check boxes. And guys, I'm not trying to sell you on the idea of, uh, of a fight between Hazmet Chabayev and Luke Rockhold, or even with Kevin Holland versus Luke Rockhold. What I'm trying to do is to point out, we would like to see Luke. If Luke says he's coming back, that's good news for fight fans. Luke's out there doing interviews and spitting venom. That's good for the fight business. We like those kinds of things. At some point, we got to find somebody realistic, which only means somebody that doesn't have a fight. And I have been surprised that it's not coming the other way. Luke is going to bring a lot to the table just because of that former championship status. Why is nobody calling him out? I mean, Luke's out here saying, the reason I'm not fighting right now is because nobody will fight me. I can't say he's lying. I haven't heard one middleweight calling for Luke. And I would wonder why. The history of the sport says you beat a former champion, you get a championship fight. That's the history of this sport. Boxing's the same way. And I understand it doesn't snap your fingers and it's very next automatically. But if you go back and look more times than not, it is automatically. It is next. You go beat a former champion, you now just became a top contender for a championship. It seems as though guys would want to be getting their hands on Luke, but they don't. And most guys that come out and say what Luke said, which is, yeah, I'm not fighting because nobody will fight me. They're pounding their chest and they're trying to get bravado. But I'm looking around going, man, I think he's telling the truth because I don't see anybody calling him out. And it seems like a good name to get on the docket with unless you're scared of Luke, unless you just don't want to fight him. And that's okay too. Your job is to take the easiest fight for the biggest paycheck. But I think Rockhold is shooting straight with us. He can't find an opponent. I'm not answering a question here. I'm asking a question, but my question is, why? If you've been listening to the podcast for the last few weeks, which I hope you have, then you've heard me talk about John Jones' repeated mishandling of his situation. And ladies and gentlemen, I got another update for you. So John Jones and I had a very interesting afternoon yesterday. We decided to try to hurt each other's feelings over Twitter. And... I got to tell you, hurting John is a hard thing to do. I tried to do it physically one time, and less than five minutes later, I was done trying to do that again. So then I had to turn to his feelings and his emotions. Now, I did think at one point in our career that John and I were going to form a bond because of our combat relationship together, and we would go through life rowing the boat in the canoe, happy and thinking about the times that we once shared. That just didn't happen. Right, And it's one of those things where John is very hard. A lot of my shtick, a lot of what I do is to point a finger in somebody's chest. Now, I still have a code. I would never kick a guy when he was down, just by example. So I have to pick and choose who I go after them and why I go after them. So you take a guy like John, that's just easy, low-hanging fruit because he's so cloaked in success. He's such a tough guy, right? John can take whatever Chael is going to dish out or so I thought. Or so I thought, because when John started responding to me, he had broke. 
he was at his absolute breaking point. Like if I would have been there, he'd have thrown something at me if he could have. He was so upset. He was so upset that he even went back and he deleted them. And these were profanity laced. And I'm sitting there going, John, I'm a troll. I mean, this is what a troll does. A troll comes at you over the internet from several states away where he's protected in the hope of getting an emotional reaction from you. And he gave it to me. So Point Chael could have succeeded any better, but overperformed my own expectations. I must tell you, John was very upset. Give you the timeline. John comes out, and there's a part of me that worries about John. And if I tell you this, you'll go, oh, Chael's backhand, you know, effing him with a smile, giving a backhand. Well, no, there is a part of me that worries about John. John is way too connected to John as the fighter way too connected. And those days are going to be yesteryear. And it's very important to him that he is remembered and revered for what he did in the ring. Now, that's weird. That's a really weird thing. There's only been one fighter in history who then could go through life and be revered by society for something he did in the squared circle or inside the fence. That was Muhammad Ali. But that had a lot to do with other things with the way Muhammad Ali brought people together through race, through religion, a lot of very public peace offerings between nations all fall to the great Muhammad Ali. I don't know that John understands that. And the reason I point that out, anything you want to do in life, okay, just look at somebody else who's already done it and then go copy them. So when I use this as an example, if I was to sit John down and go, John, you're not going to be remembered. People aren't going to love this. They're not going to want to see you and be around you for years to come because of a performance that you had in a sporting event. And that isn't an insult to you, John. I would just offer you to tell me anybody else who has, and you'd be stuck. You could say the Muhammad Ali, but that would be because of things Muhammad Ali did for other people. Entire sex, thousands, millions. A very different thing. There's just no fighter that you could turn to. John Jones, no matter how much longer he keeps fighting at this point in his career, he will just simply never achieve what Sugar Ray Leonard did, just as an example. And Sugar Ray Leonard isn't living in a way where he's revered and people are falling out of his way. You go, ah, Ray Leonard, man, that guy was quick. I remember him. He's a good fighter. That's a nice compliment. That's more than most people get, but that's still where it ends. So when I see that John, when this whole book is done, when that last punch is thrown, which could already be here, it could already have been thrown. Things just don't get better. They move on to the next guy, to the next best thing. That's the way sports work. Sports are about what is now and what is to come, not about what happened. There's a reason that Super Bowl XX, as great of ratings as it did, has never been reshown. And it never will be reshown. Sports just don't work that way. They're about what is right now and what is in the future. When I tell you that I do have a piece of me, the small piece of me that cares about John as a human being, that is the number one thing that I, I do worry about in his future. Most athletes have nothing to look forward to but alcoholism and drug abuse. True story. That's athletes of all kinds. They just don't. Look, that fame is a drug and it is a commodity and it is a rare one. To walk into a building with thousands of people cheering your name, half of them wearing a shirt with your name on it. It's very special. It's really what drives people. It's a major ego boost. It makes you feel wonderful, but that wonderful feeling is something that you cannot duplicate anywhere else, which is where I come in with the comment of drugs and alcohol. That's not a joke. That's very serious stuff I'm talking about. That's post-career. 
an athlete who does the drugs and alcohol during their career, when they still do have that commodity, which they can reach by signing a contract, making weight, and entering a sold-out arena, marquee. I mean, it's a very special thing. So when an athlete is getting into the, the tough stuff, why they still have this other commodity, they still have a way to feed it, it makes you wonder, what's going to happen when that drug goes away, the drug of fame? What's going to happen then? It's real. Tough stuff. So, again, to go back to why do I pick on John and why do I troll John? Well, in my own mind, he's fair play because he can handle it. I can take shots at him and it's fair play. I would never and don't believe that I ever have picked on somebody lower than me. That wouldn't matter if that was socioeconomic. That wouldn't matter if that was physical. That wouldn't matter if it was wits. I don't do that. But John, in many ways, I think we can all look up to John. We can at least look up to what that he achieved. Okay, great. So I'm going to go after him. And there is really nothing that's more fascinating to me than when you do take a famous and successful guy that is so starved for attention, he will go and get it even through the internet. And you could tell when a guy's been drinking, when a guy's tweeting. You could tell when a guy's doing more than drinking when he's been tweeting because they usually end up deleted, right? We got a few guys that are guilty of that. Connor would fall into that same category. You think twice. You think because you hit the erase button, somehow it washes everything away. John says things that I will read and I just don't know who's helping him. I do not know who has ever helped him. When I fought John, I found out what he got for that fight. And I remember just looking at the person that was telling me, and they were trying they were trying to get me to come over. Hey, listen, come with me. This is what I did for John. They kind of whispered the numbers to me. I remember where I was, and I remember looking him right in the eye, and I was a perfect gentleman. I say, you know, I th- thank you very much for the interest, but I'm with some other guys. But I remember when I turned around, go, man, no, they don't know what the business is. John doesn't know, but the people that are looking after him do not know what this business is. And I went and I said it on the Jim Rome show. It just came out of my mouth. I leaked it. And it turned into a huge deal and my phone was blowing up. I'm going to save the thought right there. But I'm going back to 2014 to share with you that John doesn't know the business side of MMA. Now, that's not an overly bad thing because fighters have a lane. right? You don't want the guy in production telling you how to throw a jab. Everybody has what they do. And when everybody comes together, you have something very special. I personally like guys that are competitors first that want to go out and compete. I also come from the Olympic mindset, from the NCAA mindset, which is the Olympic Games every four years or the NCAA tournament every year, any sport you want to do it. The right guy shows up, period. There has never been an Olympics in history where the right guy decided he didn't want to go this year. Had anything that would stop him from going out there, getting his due, and standing on that podium full of pride and being recognized for the skill that they brought to the table. It's just one, and I like guys like that. So when a guy doesn't want to fight, I don't want to make a guy fight. I've seen that, and you guys have too. Even on, even on the playground where one guy doesn't want to be there. I hate that stuff, man. I hate it. If you have to beg anybody, no, something else. Beg them to do their math homework. Bribe them to turn in a science project. Don't beg and bribe somebody to get into a fist fight in a steel cage on Saturday night in front of the world with their t-shirt off. It's one of those unique sports. It's one of those unique activities. It has to be done willfully. And there's a number of ways to get out of a fight. I wouldn't call any of them a coward. But if you find a way out of the fight, you are doing just that. You are being cowardly. That's all right. 
a lot of the rest of society would join in with you. But if you say, ah, you know, my mom just doesn't want me to do it, or you say, well, it's just not enough money, it doesn't really matter what comes out of your mouth, whatever the excuse is. And there's good excuses, and there's bad ones, and there's brave ones, and there's dumb ones. If you have any excuse that you don't want to do it, guys, let's just not do it. Real simple, we, we got to make sure that we have willful participants when you're doing a combat sport. John, as much as I've known he doesn't understand this, he also knows how to get a hold of me, and he knows that I do understand it. And not for nothing, and John and I have had plenty of conversations that have been a one-on-one, and not one word of any of those conversations has ever been spoken by me. So he knows he can trust me. He doesn't want to humble himself and have to come to old jail. He just doesn't want to do that. I'm just sharing with you, if he did... A lot of these problems would never exist. And when John lays out these ideas that he's got, I mean, one is worse than the next. I can update you just right in this moment. I'll, I'll go back. but uh, Let me digress into this. John is now saying that he is going to delay his return another year because he isn't as big as he wants to be. Guys, do you want to know what kills an athlete who tries to make a comeback? You want to know what absolutely kills them? Looking at them. Where you look at them and they've gained weight. They now no longer look athletic. They now no longer look like the guy that you remember in your mind's eye seen on television holding a gold belt over his head. They now look like somebody who's retired. He is actually on purpose trying to gain weight. He's trying willfully and openly to look like what most athletes look like two years after they stopped being athletic and somehow thinks that this is all going to work out. Fighting moves so quickly, and John's one of the top guys, no question, in terms of a name as well. One of the top guys. A year ago, you guys didn't know what a Hazmat Chemayev was. You didn't even know what it was. Now, I offer you that because those same guys are in heavyweight. They just haven't been identified. In fact, there's six or seven or eight of those guys that just haven't had that breakthrough moment yet. When six and seven and eight guys within a division do... No one's coming to John Jones. I mean, right, this iron is hot right now. And he is on a real short list of the Stipe Miocic's, of the Francis Ngannou's, of the Derek Lewis's. And then, of course, you've got John Jones. They got 25 more guys that were up at 5 a.m. this morning with those same dreams getting their miles in. It goes fast. you got to win the fights. You can win when you can win them. You have to get the fights that you can get when you can get them. And this is a piece of the reality that he is disassociated with. You can read through his tweets how disassociated with reality he is. I can't remember the last time John Jones fought. It was against Dominic Reyes. I don't know. Was that a year ago? Was that two years ago? Am I close? Was it a year and a half ago? I think you guys understand my point. I've watched every show there is. I've watched every fight that there's been on TV. Haven't missed one. Haven't missed John a bit. I just haven't. I suppose if I was to be real fair, I'd rather have John and Francis than not have it. I'd rather have John and Stipe than not have it. But it's not going to stop me at 7 o'clock on a Saturday night. I do the same thing. I get something to eat. I turn on the fights. It's one of these things that you can't disassociate. You've got to be very aware of what you're doing. So John came out the other day. Okay, First off, let's back up about a month. His management company puts out a PR release that they've uh, no longer working with John Jones. That's interesting. They could have broken up and nobody would have known. John could have quietly gone to somebody they never would have known. They chose and elected to make sure that the public knew that they are no longer working with him. I don't know how to interpret that. I don't fully know why they did that. 
I have my guesses that it was stopping them from getting business and they need to let everybody know, hey, that's not how we do things. As a matter of fact, we've separated ourselves. That's my guess. But even if I'm wrong, I am right to know that's peculiar. Very peculiar that a management team would put out a press release to let you know they're no longer working with somebody. It generally goes the other way. Such and such group just signed, right? Not such and such group just tore up. It was very bizarre. You fast forward from that to about eight days ago and John's putting out a tweet that he's meeting with high-powered lawyers and sports agents. That's a threat. For a guy who's under contract and is in a contract dispute to be saying that he's going to go have a meeting with high-powered lawyers, there's no other way to interpret it than that is a threat. There's no legal work to be done here. We've already done it. We've already signed it. The ink is dry. The boxes are filled in. The initials are at the bottom. The date is on top. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? There's nothing in this sport where you would need a lawyer unless you were about to try to tear that contract apart and find breach by the other side. He also stated in that same thing that he was going to meet with some sports agents. Now, that's just peculiar to me. It's very peculiar. A fighter can be marquee in a billboard in Times Square, or he can be taking photos in a booth at the county fair. There is no in-between. It is that red hot, and it is that absolute cool. So when a guy who's no longer a champion is going to meet with sports agents, you gotta, you kind of got to shrug your shoulders. About what? If you didn't need high-powered lawyers and sports agents to help navigate through all of your opportunities back when you were the champion, what do you need them as former champion? Fair question by me. It's it's a real reality to the sport. And in this sport, as you start to have a little bit of success, quite frankly, in life as a whole, you don't have bigger opportunities from better people. You have access to a higher level of scumbag. The same cons and the same parasites that were trying to latch on and leech from you when you were working your way up, now they show up in suits instead of keds. It's the same snake. So I'm sitting back going, John, just put on your critical thinking hat and ask yourself one simple question. Why would I need these people now? And what is it they could do for me now? Well, I have nothing in terms of sport or fight coming up, but I used to be the youngest champion in history. Like, how are things going to be better for me now? Put on your critical thinking hat and just wonder that. And I brought this to your attention, but then ultimately he took the cake when he said he was going to give birth to an idea. He was going to give birth to an idea. He said these words, but he couldn't tell us what it was. (laughs) Hey, everybody, give me your attention. I have something to tell you. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. Oh, but I. But it's really good. But it's really good. No, no, I'm not going to tell you. He pulled that publicly through social media. He said, "I got this great idea." He didn't even call it a great idea. He was going to give birth to an idea. He was going to step in places no man has walked before. You can't expect me as a guy who has a program to act as though that didn't happen. You also can't expect me as a guy who has a brain to not tease that. Of course I'm going to tease that. I have a moral obligation to bring it to you that John, through Twitter, says that he knows something but refused to say what it was. Now, I can tell you things that it's not, 
It's not a fight. If it was a fight, he wouldn't be putting this out. An organization located in Southern Nevada known as the Ultimate Fighting Championship would be putting this out. So we know it's not a fight. We know it's not a sponsor just because sponsors don't really get behind fighters in the first place very much and definitely don't get behind a fighter that doesn't have a fight. We know that. We know it's not going to be content. We know it's not going to be a show in some direction because that would involve helping somebody else. Do you imagine John as the promoter? I mean, could you imagine John Jones as your promoter? He would, he'd only talk about himself. He's not going to help anybody else out. John Jones, the manager, he's getting other guys' contract. His, it, it doesn't work that way. His mind doesn't work that way. He's way too selfish of a person. So I can just tell you all the things it's not. I can't tell you what it is. So when he broke bad on me, and in a profanity-laced rant on social media, said something to me, okay, here, let's put the brakes on, John. You and I are now fighting, but let's make sure we establish, just so it's perfectly clear, what we're fighting about. You say that you have some groundbreaking news. I say you don't. I say you don't. Now, I'm not sure whether you have absolutely nothing at all or whether you're just wrong to think that it's big. Whatever it is he's holding is just not going to be a big deal. It's not going to be beneficial to him, to the industry, or anybody around us. That is my challenge. I don't know. This is what I maintain. So why don't you tell us what it is? And if you have some kind of great news, I'm saying that you don't. I'm wrong. Pretty simple. He lets us know. He has brought on in an advisory role Richard Schaefer. Richard Schaefer. John Jones talking still. Richard Schaefer is responsible for some of the biggest pay-per-views in history. Some that involved Oscar De La Hoya and Canelo Alvarez. And he went on to name four or five guys. Now, time out real quick, guys, just so you do understand. Richard Schaefer is damn good. He, he really is. Richard Schaefer is the one that built Golden Boy Promotions. Oscar stepped in front of the camera and Oscar gets the credit. And Oscar was the Golden Boy and they were partners. But make no mistake, Richard Schaefer built that company. And he did a very good job. And promoters aren't going to like other promoters, right? There's just some like rules in life. Like the new boyfriend has to hate the ex-boyfriend. He just has to. It's, it's bigger than all of us. His name's Jack and you call him John. Like just condescending. The, the new boyfriend has to hate. Richard Schaefer's kind of off limits in all fairness. You're, you're just not going to meet somebody that says that guy was a crook or that he wasn't smart or that he didn't work hard. Richard Schaefer's a good, solid guy. But I also know all about his resume. I know all about what it is he's done and does do. John has a contract. Richard Schaefer was a master of pay-per-view. Now, the pay-per-view that Richard Schaefer knew does not exist. Pay-per-view of 2021 is still used as a term colloquially. The business is totally different than it was in 2017, 2018. So if you have an expert in the pay-per-view business, great. That's, you could probably do a lot of really good things with that guy. But you're under contract with somebody else, which means you're not going to do any of those things with those guys. So what are you going to do? You're going to get advice from a guy? Richard Schaefer, again, he's a smart guy. He could get caught up. I'm just sharing with you when John is trying to come out and talk about the pay-per-views that Richard Schaefer did and how well he did. Pay-per-view of 2021 is just a word. Digital program, there's all sorts of these words. It is not the pay-per-view that Golden Boy Promotions and Richard Safer created. I only bring that to you because what could it possibly be that these two guys are going to do? 
Richard would be a great guy in an advisory role to bring you in and talk to prior to sitting down at the table and working out your negotiations for your contract, of which he already has. So what is it that he thinks he's going to do? And this isn't Chael the Troll talking to you right now. This is Chael the Curious Bystander. What is going to be advantageous about having an advisory position to Richard Schaefer? Which, by the way, you had to write down, you had to meet with the guy, you had to vet the guy, and then you had to sign something. I mean, I, not for nothing. I don't have anything like that, but I also don't need it because I have what's called friends. I could pick up a phone right now and get advice from a friend that I didn't do a contract with, that I didn't have to bring in, whose name I didn't have to put out on social media. And I don't know whose idea that was. Was that John's idea to associate himself with Richard Safer? Or did Richard Safer tell John, hey, my first act of business is you go and get my name out there. It's been a little dry since Oscar and I split. That would be the very first thing that I'm curious about. Whose idea was it for John to tell the world that he has Richard Schaefer? In a normal business dealing, you would go in yourself, you would take the credit. In the back, you would get very well armed by a very good team who brought in very good advice so that you were prepared when you sat down at the table. Now it's different. I could have caught these guys off guard. You got a Richard Schaefer who is a great promoter and understands pay-per-view in your back pocket, you walk into a room, you're going to you're going to catch everybody off guard. Now you tell the world that you've got Richard Schaefer, which makes them know, okay, here, let's look at how Richard does things. Let's trace his history. Let's uh, we can we can start to guess ahead of time what angles they're going to go for and what they're going to pursue. I mean, it's one of these things. The whole thing is absolutely baffling. Baffling. John having Richard Schaefer is giving birth to no idea whatsoever. John having Richard Schaefer, who's worked with countless fighters, is not stepping where no man has stepped before. Maybe John isn't done yet. Maybe he hasn't finished the thought, and old Chael's just going a little bit too soon. Maybe Richard Schaefer and John Jones have something still to come. The problem is, it's not going to be in the fight world. It's not going to be a new promotion. It's not something they're going to do together, because John is under contract. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. Thanks for listening and continuing to listen every Wednesday and Friday. Do me one favor. If you like the show, please tell a friend about us. We really appreciate it. As always, I will be back on Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.